Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. All right, the topic for today, as far as I understand it so far, talking to Greg a little bit before we started here, is the idea or the question of how to work with a group of people or person that is not questioning that anything is wrong with their beliefs or the information that they are consuming as it relates to Christianity versus the experiences that you had at Labrie that were completely the opposite, where people were questioning and that was kind of part of the culture and the uh that's what was going on there how am i doing yeah. so far i think you're doing pretty well although you threw me off when you when you didn't start with hi i'm john polster because <laughs> i was gonna say hi i'm john polster <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh, i'll just copy and paste that from some other episode <laughs> <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah i think you're right on and that word culture i think is really helpful Really, 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 really helpful because I think I'm experiencing a form of culture shock even though I know that that's that the culture I'm in is a culture of trust. It's a culture of trusting that the church is okay, that what you're getting from the church is reliable, and that whatever whatever you're getting and, and whatever kind of this culture is, it's working. Everything works. And there's nothing to question work, because it just there's nothing to question. It just all works. There's nothing to question, and in, and if it does, if there is anything to to worry about, and there there's stuff to worry about. It's not like people are saying, "Oh, everything's rosy." I don't think it's rose-colored glasses. I think that everything that doesn't work fits into easily understandable, consumable, and potentially fixable categories. So you've got the overly legalistic piece. You've got the doesn't love Jesus enough peace or doesn't isn't loving enough towards one's neighbor's peace. And of course, when no one ever digs into, well, what do these things mean? Or, you know, this person claims to love Jesus and this person claims to love Jesus and they do things very differently. How do we, how do we, on the one hand, account for that? How do we, on the other hand, adjudicate between those folks? Or is everybody just as good as everybody else? So... So yeah, I mean, I think it's been really tough. And I think one of the things, the ways that this has been coming out is as I've been planning and thinking about, you know, we had our great time at Priest Lake in Idaho uh, just at the end of August. And um, that's right. We saw each other for the first time in what, three years? <laughs> oh man, it has not been that long, has it? I think it was. I we need to shorten that next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think we need to do some Portland-based podcasting. Okay. Or you could come to Drumheller, too. Yeah, that works. Check out the dinos. <laughs> um, but no, so, yeah, I mean, you had this great suggestion maybe of taking the whole Sunday morning piece. So I've been doing Sunday mornings with this church. I started in uh, July of 2015. I've restarted this year, but with a different focus. And instead of... Um, the, the church Sunday morning thing being a primary element in my week, that's now shifted to a Tuesday evening sort of seminar slot. 
which is open to maybe five or six people. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to uh, I'm glad to say that, uh, at least as I understand it, still you're attending, John? Yes, I am. John is attending via Skype. That's going to be awesome. And if you're in the Drumheller greater <laughs> Alberta area, <laughs> you can meet with the group in person. <laughs> Might right. as well just give it a plug here. You never know. All right. Well, yes, that's that's very possible. Um, when does I, it I, start? Hmm? When did I say I was coming? <laughs> <laughs> when am I obliged to be there? You are obliged to be there every Tuesday night from 7 o'clock till 9 o'clock Mountain Time. Okay. Starting when? Starting this Tuesday, the 20th of September and running through until the last Tuesday of October. Well, we better get this episode out soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're getting it out on Monday. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, right. So, no, I mean, you put out that idea. You, you mentioned this a couple of times that the time frame on Sunday mornings isn't long enough. The commitment is sort of, ah, uh, you know, maybe I'll show, maybe I won't show. And that was both sort of frustrating, but mostly frustrating because that we couldn't really get any traction. We couldn't really go with anything. We couldn't continue a thought from one uh, time to the next without a lot of revision and, and getting sidetracked with, you know, somebody new might say, oh, this or that about the subject. And then we'd go down that way. So, um, yeah, I think it's been hard to sort of figure out how to, how to pitch this to people, how to approach this group where there's a culture of trust rather than a culture of suspicion. And I think the culture of trust well, let me go the other way. The culture of suspicion, I think, is based on people experiencing stuff that doesn't work and getting hurt. And that's a common theme. Um, you know, tell me what you think. But I, I think that's a fairly common theme in most of the people who are who are part of our uh, Facebook group for Untangling Christianity. Mm, I don't know. No? Well, I don't know. Maybe one or two, but I don't feel like I know... I feel like I have little pieces of a handful of the people's stories, but I wouldn't, I guess I wouldn't go so far there. Okay. So maybe I need to know, maybe we need to, to know a little bit more. So if folks want to mention a little bit more about their story, I mean, I think uh, Anna and Evan have been pretty clear. Uh, I think there are a couple others that were made some mention of stuff, but yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's, there's a question for listeners. If you want to pipe up and sort of let us know, if this kind of idea or this reality of being um, of questioning or feeling suspicious and that coming out of either things not working in your church experience or feeling, you know, not just hurt, but maybe, maybe wounded, maybe excluded, maybe marginalized. Okay. So, yeah, I guess, I guess the, 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 you and I have been going back and forth then on this, you know, how to, how to pitch, how to market this seminar on Tuesday morning. And you've been encouraging me to focus on the positive and focus on the positive and focus on the positive. And my, my, my orientation is to focus on the negative. Well, maybe you should say what the positive and negative is so that okay. people will be clear. Why, yeah, my, well, why my way is better. Right, <laughs> <laughs> we'll work with that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think the positive is that. So the whole issue then is the whole focus of the seminar and the whole focus of what I, I think I've been trying to promote is this notion of integrating 
the various aspects of faith and life. And so we've talked about, you and I, John, have talked about this idea of a triangle where you've got, you know, yourself in one corner, the real world in another corner, the Bible in another corner. And trying to work out, to formulate, in other words, ways, the relationships between those three points, how those three points all re relate with each other. And I would say how they integrate. In other words, how there is a kind of a reciprocity, a balance, a, uh, an ability for one part to speak to the other part, rather than creating a bunch of hierarchies. You know, so as, a, as an atheist, you might say, well, it's very clear. The, the real world is what matters. The Bible is just this bunch of irrelevant stuff. As a Christian, you would probably say the, wouldn't say the opposite, but you say the Bible is really what matters and it's the only way we can understand the real world. And so you've got these, this tension of hierarchies. And so as a result, you really have people uh, in a dispute sort of mode. You don't really have much dialogue or you're talking at, at cross purposes. You're just not connecting with each other at all. Um, and so the goal that I have is to look at how we integrate these things. In other words, how do we structure those relationships? How do we understand them? And also then once we've done that, what are the benefits? Well, the benefits are from a Christian perspective, you've got this positive and valuable interaction with the world around you. The world around you is a place where you get to live out your faith. If you're a Christian to uh, get feedback on that from other people to help you to see areas where maybe you have interpreted the Bible in a way that's stultifying, that's too rigid, too wooden, too inflexible. Um, and so you can, you have your experiences in the real world, they give you feedback and you take that feedback, you kind of go through that process of understanding once again, and you live that out again. So it's this process of kind of, you understand something, you take some biblical explanation, you live that out into the world, you get some new understanding that you can come back with. And there's a feedback loop which means that it makes sense and there's a dialogue going on. It has connection with the real world. You know, and the opposite to that would be my classic thing about a uh, classic example of the person passing a tract to someone uh, at the hardware store while they're checking out. There is no way for you to have engagement. There is no way for you to have feedback. There is no way for you to do anything other than just bomb somebody, something onto somebody, which actually kind of is contradictory to the whole notion that you're providing them information about a relationship. And you're doing it in a tremendously non-relational way. So wait, what's the positive and negative? I'm not sure I'm tracking. Well, I think the positives, if just to list them, the positives are you're interacting with your world in a better way. So you're able to understand your relationship with the real world and with other people. You're interacting with God in a better way because you're able to interact with the Bible, let's say, on the basis of interpretation rather than intuition. And you're able to have a feedback loop. You're able to say to yourself, well, okay, how am I to understand the biblical text, both in terms of uh, myself? So yes, interpretation is more valuable and more beneficial, let's say, than uh, intuition, but also in terms of the real world. Well, okay, I've got some information coming to me from science. So from biology, from geology, from various other sources that helps me understand how I'm seeing the Bible. So those would be the positive things that could come from coming to your seminar to understand those better? Better understanding of the Bible, better, I think, better and more viable relationship with God, you know, so not something that's way up airy-fairy. Right, and so, or, yeah, so I've been, that's, okay, yeah, now I'm with you. So, yeah, I've been advocating that's a natural way to get people interested. In other words, the people in your target audience, which I would say would be existing Christians, sounds like in a church setting. Mm-hmm. I think that 
approaching the message that way would be the best way to make this attractive and somewhat interesting to them. You're right. saying you want, no. I think, want to go to a di- you want to go to a different you want to take a different approach. So I what do. A- what approach? How do you want to position it in a way that you think people would find it interesting and want to come? Well, you know, and here's the really fascinating part. As I've been thinking about why am I approaching this from the negative, I kept thinking to myself, well, okay, what I'm doing here really is I'm taking my graduate work, my thesis, and I'm creating a seminar series out of it. I'm explaining it in a very kind of hands-on way uh, in a small group and working with, you know, individual ideas, building blocks, skill sets, one at a time. And so... I thought that what I was doing was I was approaching this from an academic perspective because that's the perspective that I typically see it in and that's where I've spent the most time working this out. Okay, that makes sense. It's probably what I'm doing. And then I've 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 been going through this process of talking with folks, of ga- engaging with the, the the idea of like marketing this, getting people interested. And it occurred to me that part of what's happening and part of the reason I think that I don't have turnout on a Sunday, I don't have, nothing's compelling folks, right? Most of these folks, most of the time, as far as I can see, the, one of the reasons they live in a culture of trust is that they, 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 their lives take place in the realm of good. And I might say quite good. And that would be in comparison with the realm of not good bad, poor, right? So put it on a scale of one to 10, I would say most of these folks in terms of their Christian lives have a sense that they're at somewhere between a six and an eight, maybe six and a seven and a half. It's really hard to sell somebody on the fact that you can go from a seven and a half to an eight or an eight and a half or maybe a nine if you put in a bunch of time that you really don't know that you have and you're really not too convinced anyways. Like, what is this all about? And why would I want to bother? And, eh, you know, maybe that's for some people. It's not for me. So I think on the one hand, what, what I'm suggesting is that there's a distorted picture. So I'm saying this culture of trust and this environment of good, there are some things in here that are deeply flawed. So it's, not really, as, so it's not really as good... It's no. not really a seven and a half. It's really a three. I don't know if it's a three, but I can feel like if, I, you know, and I don't mean to be, I'm, I'm really not trying to be pejorative here in any way, but I remember, so let me go back to my situation. What's, pejor- I'll just speak from, What's pejorative mean? Well, you know, condescending and negative, okay. like just kind of cutting stuff down. I'm not trying to do that, but I remember when I was, so I was a Christian for seven or eight years and not a Christian, an agnostic I don't know if I would say I was an atheist, but I don't think I claimed atheism, but definitely an agnostic for seven, eight years. And then a Christian again now for, you know, 16, 17 years. And in that first period of being a Christian when I was much younger, I certainly felt things were going very well. I certainly had a sense that I was, you know, and I might have a bad day or people might be, you know, something's going wrong or something's happening in my life or a friend's life or something. But but in terms of my general sense of well-being, relative to my Christian beliefs, I was always sitting somewhere between a six and an eight. That's where I was. And I got to the point where there were enough 
test runs, if you like. There was there was the real row, the, the real world, and my Christian beliefs hitting the hitting, if you like, uh, the the asphalt, and the car going off the road, and that happened enough times. And I just said, you know what? I'm not getting in this bloody car again because it runs off the road, and it's devastating every time it does. And so I know from my own experience that I can be. There are times in my life. There was a time in my life, quite a long time, when I thought everything was going fantastically. And my perspective, when I uh, eventually left Christianity, and still now as a Christian, I would never go back to being the type of Christian I was before. I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't a fool. Um, but I was ignorant and unaware of many of the things that I did that I failed to do, many of the reasons that I, I chose to be a Christian, that that essentially um, left my relationship with God and therefore my relationship with myself and my, with others um, skewed. In some cases, I would call it warped. And I, I'm not picking out names and faces from the people I go to church with now and thinking those things of them. I don't have enough information about them particularly, but I do have enough information in general, both from my own experience and from experiences with other people who've gone through similar things. I certainly know a lot of people who have who were Christians and quite dedicated and who've left it. I don't know anyone who's dedicated as a Christian, dedicated as an agnostic and come back. I don't I don't I don't know too many people like that who've spent, you know, the better part of a decade through all three of those phases. So the negative you're saying the negative way of marketing your seminar would be to say there's a huge problem here. Come learn more about it. There's a huge problem. And I, and I would frame it in a very kind of basic and accessible way for Christians. And I would say, you know, um, what, what is reading, that problem? Self-deception. False religion as a result. You know, and, and that that's like <laughs> kicking somebody, pardon me, it's like kicking somebody in the nuts, right? It's, it's, you may, you may censor that, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so come... So come to this seminar where you can find out that every most of what you believe is not true? No, I don't think so. I think I would approach it with the whole focus on come to this seminar. We're going to begin by looking at how we typically respond. What's our typical reflex response when it comes to something about Christianity, about our faith? Uh, what's your comfort level with this thing? Are you typically trusting in this area? Are you typically sus suspecting? And then pull something else out. Pull something else out that relates to... I don't know, um, a Christian denomination that seems at a, a fair distance from your denomination. How do you respond to that? Pull out something that's to do with, I don't know, comes from an atheistic perspective. How do you respond to that? Because I think what I'm trying to get at is that there, the reality, again, I'm talking about this from a Christian perspective, so I'm going to use these words because they apply in a Christian perspective. The notion of sin and especially sinful practice is that I not only do things that I don't want to do, I do things that I don't want to do and I cover that up from myself while claiming to be doing the opposite. In other words, I deceive myself for the purposes of whatever it is, promoting myself, um, taking power over others. You know, and, and I think, I think for, the, for a lot of people, these ideas are, they would acknowledge these ideas, but they've got no way of allowing for this kind of um, hidden 
set of practices to be inspected and detected. So it seems there's a, like there's two ways that this can go, and this and gets to what we were talking about yesterday, the day before, is you can either like find the best way to quote market this, whether it be the positive or the negative, mm-hmm. or I think what I was raising yesterday was. Can you really market something like this? It's mm-hmm. in other words, it's like me marketing my coaching practice. If uh in my experience, unless someone really wants to make changes in their life, in other mm-hmm. words, unless someone has really really come to grips that they have a problem or they're stuck and they're really going to do something they're like now is really the time that they're going to do something about it those are the people that that really move forward and do something with coaching mm-hmm. and those are the people that i want to work with mm-hmm. versus the people that are kind of kicking the tires and are like well i don't know i mean things aren't great but i don't think they can get any better and coaching probably wouldn't help me like i'm my attitude is fine. Well, my attitude is I'm not going to convince you. Like I, it, I don't think it's my job, and I don't think I can convince you either. I'm not a big like debater either. I know like that's just not part of my personality. I was kind of like, well, take it or leave it. So I guess, yeah, I, I guess I kind of wonder with this topic and your seminar, if it's maybe could it be that it's for people that that have already come to the realization that it's not working. And so those are the people that will just naturally want to come. And if most of the people feel that it's working, it seems like a real uphill battle to convince them it's not working. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you and I disagree. Like no I agree in principle with what you're saying and I, I agree in practice most times. I think the disagreement is and I don't even know if disagree is the right word or if if there's an added element in this picture that I'm painting about or that is in front of me about the the seminar possibilities versus say coaching or I think anything else and that is there's this built-in idea that all Christians in per in practice pretty much all the vast majority of broad brushes <laughs> Well, I'll paint it with a broad brush because I, I think it's I think it's accepted broadly, but it's accepted in some ways wrongly, and that's this idea of sin. Christians believe that they're sinful. I think ninety nine point high many nines after that believe that that they do things that are wrong, that they need forgiveness for those things. What I think isn't as obvious, and where I think the whole sin thing doesn't actually conform with what at least I'm reading in the Bible and what I'm experiencing in my own life is we as human beings have deceitful practices. So sins aren't just things where I go, oh, gee, yeah, did that, shouldn't have done it. Oh, gee, yeah, shouldn't have done that, right? And I, I kind of kind of keep a tally or I can keep whatever. But I am actually ongoingly engaging in things and dissimulating, hiding those things from myself through various means and this is the message of the prophets. The prophets aren't just saying, hey, you guys turned around and, and walked away here. Like I've got, I've got Isaiah in front of me, Isaiah 5. Um, 
And I'm just, I'll just read a section of it. You know, you who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, you who are wise in your own eyes and shrewd in your own sight. That's just a couple of verses. But one of the major messages of the prophets is you claim to be being God's people, but you are in fact far from it. And it is that message, which is the message of false religion, the message that Israel claims to be after God's heart when indeed they are not, that their religious and ways, <laughs> cultural ways of being are false. <laughs> how are you going to announce that on Sunday morning? <laughs> how would you? Come to my think? seminar. <laughs> well, I don't think I can for the marketing of the seminar, but I think this is where I'm going with the Sunday morning piece, right? And this is, I mean, we've talked about this before. There are acceptable ways for, for Christians to get kicked. They expect to get kicked. They expect to get told that they're not good enough, that they're wrong, that they're bad, that they're et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But this is not a message that I typically hear. And yet this is the very message that is going to help people, it seems to me, get to a place where they're willing to hear what I'm having to say because part of what we do is you say, if you there, there are these sinful practices that we keep from ourselves, that where we deceive ourselves, what are counter practices that we can put in place to begin to perceive these sinful practices? How might we do that? And then lo and behold, those counter practices contribute directly to this process of setting up right relationships, of rightly relating those three points on that triangle. See this, uh, this, yeah, this I don't know, the self-deception thing I feel like is like, it's really fine line. Like, Talk to me. What well, do you mean? Well, it's kind of a double-edged sword. In other words, my Christian experience is that we deceive ourselves all the time, 100% of the night, not 100% of the time, but essentially left to our own devices, we're going to completely deceive and delude ourselves. And so, you know, we're fallen, sinful, we listen to our flesh and all the other mumbo-jumbo buzzwords. And so we really can't trust ourselves at all. We're totally lame, and so we need we need some other divine power so that we're not totally lame and helpless and dumb. And I don't know. I just don't buy that anymore. No, I don't think I do, but I don't think I'm saying that either. Like, how would you be able to go to the grocery store, put gas in your tank? If you're, if you're always constantly deceived, you'd end up dead. We'd see people dying all over the place because they'd drink gasoline instead of water. They'd... <laughs> You know, um, okay, but shoot their, shoot their kids rather than shooting the groundhogs in the field. Like, help me out. I don't know. Maybe I'm painting with too big of a too broad of a brush now. But it was, I don't know. I guess it's just a sense that I don't know. I guess I feel like I've swung the other direction to be more self reliant and more. Mm. No, I can figure this out. Right. I don't. I. I am not an idiot. I am. Like my brain is working and I'm checking it against my experience and other people around me and I seem to be on the right path here. But wow, figure, I, what, figure what out? I don't know if it's a particular decision about something. Um, you know, you'll hear Christians say, oh, well, you know, I have this really important decision to make, so I really need to pray about it and really need to pray about it. And the, the idea there is that if you don't pray about it, you'll make the bad decision or you make a wrong one because you didn't have God's help. And I don't know, maybe God can help you, but uh, 
I feel like it, 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 it goes to the extreme of, again, if you don't get God's help, you're going to screw it up. And so you better make sure that you're getting God's help. You know, I'm, like a classic situation, you're trying to make a decision, and you're talking to someone, they're like, well, have you prayed about this? Implying that if you didn't pray about it, you're going to make the wrong decision. Right. But are you hearing that I'm undercutting that? No, I think... Mm. Because this is one of those practices. <laughs> okay. Say more. Well, maybe, I'm, okay. maybe I'm not sure where I'm going. You, no, no, say, you're you're good. I think you're great. You're telling me how it is from a standard Christian perspective, and I'm I'm saying that part of what I'm trying to do is in a culture of trust, I want to breed suspicion. In a culture of suspicion, I want to foster trust. Wait, so what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm, what I'm saying is, both of these. So this is a, these are this is a tension. There's a tension between suspicion and trust. You get too much of one, you're unable to see things that are actually there in front of you. So, so when you're dealing with something with self-deception, on a personal and a communal level, the only way for you to begin to work with uh, something you can't you can't touch is to have set up practices that will allow you to cut back against your typical reflexes. So if your typical reflex response to anything Christian is, oh yeah, that's got to be true. You hear something from the pulpit or you hear somebody gives you something that's got a Bible verse attached to it and you just say yes. Or somebody says, you know, you've got to pray about that or you're going to go wrong. Well, the first response, if that first response and, and probably the only response in these communities, right, it's, it's trust all the way down. It's not like trust and then suspicion. I don't see that. So what you're saying, so what you want to encourage is instead of, oh, it has a Bible verse attached to it, that must have, that Bible verse must fit that situation, just assume full stop. Yes. You're saying let's flip it around. Let's let's question everything, more things. I'm seeing uh, the first thing I think we should do is stop and listen and hold off. So there are, two, there are two steps in this that I see. The first is identify what your reflex is relative, whether it's trust or suspicion, and think about what it would mean to reverse that reflex. Okay, so, so for me, it would be the opposite. So for me, it might be, given to where to I've kind of evolved to, my natural reflex is suspicion. My natural reflex is, eh, I'm sure this is bogus. So yeah, what I, would you say to me? Uh, I should well, I, try to take more of a position of trust or it's this idea of not of withholding judgment openness um yes i think it's this 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 idea of openness but i think that gets to the second part so the first one is dealing with either the trust or suspicion what's dominant what's the dominant culture and the second is this idea of if you have a uh, a source of truth whatever that is for you. So let's just talk about Christians. It's easy. The Bible is the source of truth. Typically, the Bible is set above everything else, right? So there's trust or there can be suspicion, whatever it is, but the Bible is at the top of that heap. The Bible's always true. Say, Bible's always true. And if you have a reference, that's your footnote for whatever you're talking about. Right. And if somebody comes to you with something that seems counter to the Bible, you know you can always dismiss it. Because the Bible's true and they must yes. have something, there must be something wrong with their approach yeah, or their perspective. Exactly, exactly. And what I would say is, for Christians, 
And I would, I would try to frame this for non-Christians as well, maybe as a question, but for Christians, I would phrase it as a statement. And the statement is, we are called to love God first, love our neighbors second. And loving our neighbors means valuing their ideas and their texts as much as we value our own. So instead of having this big emphasis on truth, and truth is uh, the Bible's true and everything else is false, hold off on that. Just, just stand back on it a little bit. And instead, practice loving that person by listening to and respecting their views, their ideas, their texts, right? It doesn't mean that they're true, that the Bible is no longer true. But it does mean that you've given space now, right? Because in order for you to value and respect their views, their ideas, their texts, you have to allow them the time to lay those things out. But it seems like there's two tracks here. I don't maybe this is just <laughs> yes. a revelation ahead. Is it's your own so for myself, what's my nat- natural inclination, trust or suspicion? But mm-hmm. then there's also the culture, the community that you're in and what their yes. default orientation is. Yes. And if there's a clash between those two, which there definitely is for me, I don't go to church. So yeah. I don't like that's not um appealing or comfortable to me. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you can't be, you can't be valued in there. That's, that's, that, that's the exact second point I'm getting at is in that church community, if you, John, come in and say, here are my ideas and my views, the first thing they're going to do is compare those to the Bible. And if what you say doesn't match up enough, you could be many things. They could, they could care for you. They could quote unquote love you, but you're not going to be valued for those views and ideas. Your views and ideas will be rejected outright. That's my experience. Mm-hmm. And so who would want to participate in that? And what I'm suggesting is that's exactly the type of orientation we need to reverse. So I would want to know more about, well, what do you think, John? And Why do you think that? And oh, you're, you've been a Christian. You've been involved in Christian stuff like heavily. And why do you have this different view now? Why have you changed your mind? And it doesn't mean I just still don't think that the Bible has some significant and and unique truth that can't be found elsewhere and can't be dispensed with for right living. But it does mean that all of a sudden you and I are in a different relationship. So there's this trust, suspicion, both within oneself and within your right within the uh, culture. And then there's this, this how, you, how you balance out these two pieces of, of love and truth, right? Whether it's, yeah, I, I value the Bible so much that if anybody is saying anything that is against the Bible, then it trumps my, my, my responsibility, if you like, to be loving towards them. And I would say, mm, that's not what I'm reading in the text. Actually, the, the, the responsibility to love trumps the other. Not in the way that it, 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 we're not talking about getting rid of the Bible. We're not talking about devaluing it. We're just talking about reorienting ourselves so that people are important and you have the opportunity as a Christian, let's just say, because this is, you know, she's talking to Christians, to engage with people in a way that is loving and in a way that is honoring to, you know, their perspectives as much as you honor yours. So I don't know if that answers your question about how I would respond to you. 
you know, I probably want to ask you more questions. Okay. So where, where have you ended up with all this in terms of you have the, I didn't realize we were starting next week, but I'll be there. <laughs> so, so, so next week there's, if it sounds like you have enough people, but what, so what's going to be your orientation then with the Sunday morning thing that you're, you're still doing that? I'm still doing it and I'm using the Sunday mornings as a test ground. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, now that we've had this conversation and a couple of previous conversations about, do we focus on, do I focus on the positive? Do I focus on the negative? I think, you know, one of the things that, that I'm, is a, is a main, uh, it's, it's a primary orientation within mediation is see the storm sail into the storm. You sail right (laughs) into the conflict. And that is exactly where I'm going to go. So Sunday morning, I'm taking them into this this whole idea of self-deception. And we're going to talk about the problem of evil. And we'll see where we get. You know, I'm sure people are going to be a little bit riled. And I think we're probably going to go down a couple of, uh, well, the, the if, if we were in the kitchen, the, the temperature in the oven would be high. But, <laughs> you know, part of part of the reason you do that in mediation is, where the conf, where the where the storm is is where the issues are and that's where the people are that's where their investment is because you've got a conflict already and i guess part of what i'm seeing is there is a conflict already in this sunday morning group i am at least in a conflictual position with them they may not understand quite so well or clearly where i'm coming from but as soon as we put that out there as soon as I begin to actually be myself in that context, there will be conflict, at least a conflict of views. So would you say up until now you've not been yourself? Up until now I've been trying, no, I think I've been myself, but I've been trying to be myself without expressing my views. I've been trying to allow their conversation, you know, they might throw three or four things out. I grab two of them and put them together. They throw two more out. I grab one of those and link it to the original two. And say, what do you think about this? So I'm kind of weaving stuff together, but I'm not really putting much of my own in there. And I'm not, when they throw out those three things, I'm not saying, well, here's my opinion on these things. Because I don't want to intimidate them. And I haven't wanted to scare them off. Hmm. And I think at this point, yeah, I've got to start not only trying to weave these together, but actually putting out my opinion. And then getting them to steer into the tough parts and say, okay, so let's let's road test this. If you think God's sovereign and God takes charge of everything, where was God on 9-11? What's God been doing with ISIS? How would you feel if you were a non-Christian and somebody said, this God is loving, here's what happens? How would you do that? You know, and people might get in, you've, you've, you mentioned, you know, oh, God's, God's mysterious and blah, 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 blah. Well, no, God's love is not mysterious. <laughs> God, God comes back to that every single time and talking with the Israelites. Remember the Exodus. Not a mystery what I did for you. Nobody's unclear about what happened. You know, and so there are there are I think some some mixed up thinking and some some actual dysfunction as well that tends to plague the church. And that's part of this whole idea of self-deception. That's the manifestations, I think, of this self-deception. And to be clear, I was being sarcastic when I say God is mysterious <laughs> in those situations. Well, okay, so it's going to be interesting to, you'll have to report back to us and uh, 
so it sounds like you're you're about to make it real. I'm about to make it real. We're going to go into this and uh, sail into the storm. I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if I'm. You remember Captain Jack uh, Sparrow? And, uh, <laughs> when he gets up to the dock, his ship just dies. It like he walks off onto the dock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you like that, did you? Yeah, that's nice. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Untangling Christianity podcast. A summary and resources for this episode are at our website, untanglingchristianity.com. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group or reach us by email, send your requests, questions, or even a simple hello to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is provided by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license.